Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Joining me are the hardest working journalists in tech journalism. I had to, I had to say that. I had to come up with some kind of, you're looking for- Sorry, did somebody come in? Uh, <laughs> Stuart Walpin, who's from Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other publications. John Quayne, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Uh, Rob Pagarero is not going to be with us, but when he is, he writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and USA Today. Gentlemen, how are each of you doing today? Go judge. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, I would talk yeah. about baseball a little bit more with my friend, Stuart. Uh, you know, I, I think we would see a live version of, of uh, John falling asleep. Um, but John, let me just pin you for a second. You were at the Qualcomm event yesterday, weren't you? Yeah. At the auto. I was. I was at their, their first uh, automotive Thursday. Um, actually saw some friends, one of them who left PC Magazine and has gone to the dark side. He now is a Qualcomm yes. employee. I, I know who that guy is. Um, I know who that guy is. Right. Yeah, so well, uh, it, was, well, well, it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not a topic for us to talk about, but give us your – and I know Rob was there as well. If, if I'm, was it Rob there? G- give me yes, your two minutes impression. Yes, I mean, yes, give me your, your impressions of the, of the event. You know, and I think you sent out a tweet about this earlier. There's this kind of grandiose debate going on in the autonomous technology space of, you know, who's going to win from an approach standpoint? Is it going to be the, the wireless companies, which obviously that's what Qualcomm is? Is it going to be the NVIDIAs of the world who believe in much more of an embedded technology um, approach for EV driving um, within the car? Any any impressions? Well, it's happen? very interesting, you know, the the overall architecture of the of the car of the future is sort of what's being debated. And, and I've written about it a few times, in fact, for the New York Times, even years ago about it, uh, because it's like, do we go with the CPU model and we have one processing unit in the center of the car and everything is just on that? Yeah. Or do we do what automotive companies typically do right now? And they have, you know, almost 300 different uh, microprocessors in each car that anywhere on the road right now. It's all the functions are separated. There's There are some central units, but really the car can run independently. It's not relying on one CPU to run the whole thing. I mean, aside from the engine, of course. But um, so the idea is, could I win this battle for the autonomous or electric vehicle by making that one CPU? You know, could I be the Intel or NVIDIA or in this case, you know, Qualcomm Snapdragon is sort of what they're pitching is their proposal to do a lot of this. Yes. And the Snapdragon is already in the dashboards, going to dashboards for infotainment systems. Uh, for many um, cars, for many cars. Could they do it all? Yeah. Right. Yeah, could they the do it all? But no one. No, go yeah, ahead. I was going to just really say the, the interesting thing is really the 5G issue. I mean, from a latency standpoint, because that's the fundamental question. If you rely on. Um, EV uh, control to a large extent on really good 5G connectivity, you have to be in a a robust 5G environment because latency is the last thing you want to have as you're driving, you know, with an EV. Right. And I think people realize that that's not going to (laughs) happen. I mean, I don't, even, (laughs) even the cars right now are getting like 4G, you know, they're getting 4G. They, the, 
even if when they get 5G support, it turns out, well, they're not going to have millimeter wave support, which is really what you would need to do some of the tasks that we're talking about here. Which so is not going to be that, for uh, and, and then if you're exactly. to Arizona, you don't have connectivity either. So I think they realize that that's not, not a thing. It, will it help? Will it be great? We call eHorizon, you know, on the Merritt Parkway. There are blind spots all over that park parkway yes it will help because there'll be connectivity there it'll tell you the cars are stopped over the other side of the hill so it should resonate some congestion and stuff but it's not going to be the all and end all uh you know solution right. for these cars that's for sure right interesting stuff so i'm sure we'll be talking about that in the near future but let, let's tee up our uh, first topic here and that is a topic i know that's close to your heart Stuart. it's the 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 ever emerging um, uh, a piece of <laughs> silicon technology uh, that we know is Bluetooth. You know, most people know Bluetooth. I'm not sure most people know that there are versions associated with it, and it, ha it has evolved significantly over the years. When Bluetooth first came out, it was kind of a novel thing, and, and you know, the operating systems didn't really support it directly. You had drivers, and, you know, you were lucky if you got a, con a connection. Of course, it's now evolved dramatically with much better audio, um, still not quite as good as connect, you know, a, a direct line. I think that's what, what uh, a direct connection, which is essentially what I think the Bluetooth folks would like to see one day. But let's talk about this new version 5.2, uh, Stuart. Well, Bluetooth 5.2, which really should have been called Bluetooth 6, quite frankly, because it is <laughs> such a huge upgrade in the technology. Right now, if you use wireless headphones, as most people do these days, they use the communication between the headset and your music device, your phone, is a codec called a codec called SBC, which I believe is subband code or something like that, which has been the real stumbling block to delivering the high quality that you're talking about, that high quality audio from the source device of to your headphones and back again for conversations. Um, Bluetooth 5.2 uses a new technology called LC3, which not only delivers higher quality audio, but does so at a lower bandwidth and uses less battery power. So that's right. the first advantage of it. Now, honestly, the only people who have really platinum ears will probably be able to hear that. Um, but there are far wider ranging applications. One of the other things that the new standard uses is, is called broadcast. And what this is, is instead of a one-to-one -one, uh, Bluetooth headphone connection, you can now send a Bluetooth signal to what Bluetooth says is an unlimited number of devices. And in broad applications, for instance, I, I happened upon a huge dance party at Lincoln Center, outdoors at Lincoln Center during the summertime a month or so ago. And there are all these hundreds if not thousands of people dancing they're all wearing gay glow headsets and anybody who wasn't wearing a headset if you were just standing and watching couldn't hear a thing except maybe the bleed out from the headphones so they were using this technology to allow all these people to dance outdoors in public in silence it could be used for pa systems uh, airport announcements if you go to an airport you're watching one of these big public tvs You'll be able to hear the TV through your headphones if you want. The third major upgrade is for uh, hearing aid wearers. And this will allow hearing aid wearers to get a Bluetooth signal. So instead of having to listen, having the ambient sound amplified, it will feed sounds from concerts or PA announcements or anything 
of any sound that's coming from an artificial place to be beamed directly into their ears, which means they, that you'll have control over volume, but you'll get a direct sound instead of having a, what, what did he say? That sort of thing. So those yes. are three of the major upgrades. Now, of course, what you're going to need is a new phone. And right now, the only phones with Bluetooth 5.2 are higher-end models. All the iPhone 14s have it. Um, the new Samsung Galaxy S22s, and about uh, about a 25% of the new phones that are out now, obviously right. will ramp up very quickly. You'll also need new headphones. The new AirPod Pros that Apple just announced will be 5.2. It'll take time for it to seep into headphones, and you will have to replace your headphones. But again, this will ramp up very very quickly, especially since the um, the uh, the usage cases are so compelling. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting uh, with the evolution of Bluetooth is that many people have multiple devices, you know, whether it's a, uh, they, uh, they have a, a, obviously a smartphone that's capable of Bluetooth, a tablet, a desktop. And Apple's tried to do this. And I, I, I know this new spec has some more secret sauce in the spec that allows you to have a more seamless experience. So you do that because right now when you switch from your uh, smartphone to your desktop to another device, you'll Apple's be able to. You'll be you'll able to be do more able, seamlessly. Not only will you be able to switch from the device to device, but source devices will be able to beam to multiple headsets. Yes. So if you're on a plane or a train with a friend and you want to watch the same video, both of you can be wearing your Bluetooth 5.2 headphones and both listen wirelessly instead of having to finagle with a you know a dongle to separate headphones. It's it, 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 it's a huge, it's a huge upgrade. Now, now, John. Because you like, I like to think of you as you write for the common man. You know, you're a, you know, you're a very reasonable. Practitioner. No, you don't. Come on, give me a break. No, no you still, you, you all, all you guys, including Rob, you know, has a very um, uh, have gifts for being able to communicate things, you know, fairly technical topics to mainstream audiences. But you no, know, we were kind of joking about this before. Mo if you pulled a hundred consumers, if you walked down Fifth Avenue um, and asked a hundred people. Do you know what Bluetooth 5.1, 5.2, 5.3 is? And ask them to okay, what's the what's so magical about it? They, you know, I think they, I think the the, the Bluetooth consortium has succeeded in, in embedding Bluetooth, the brand, in people's mind, but articulating these new iterations, which are important. Let's, you know, John, I'll pine on you know the, the challenges from a marketing standpoint because the features that Stuart just outlined are very very cool, but. Trying to can you know you essentially you're leaving it up to the brands the the companies that embed this technology in their product to really carry the word forth. So t talk a little bit about the marketing challenges around you know communicating those new features. I, it definitely is a challenge when you're doing you know five dot two and five dot. There's already a Bluetooth five point three you know spec. Um, yeah, there aren't any products yet, but there already is a spec. Just saying. Um, you know, it, it is difficult conveying the differences because a lot of consumers are basing you know their impression upon when they first tried it. And you get you still get some people who say, I tried that Bluetooth thing. It didn't work. I couldn't pair it to my car. Ah, it didn't work, you know. So they, they they're gonna be stuck with that. So um I think the Wi-Fi people have done a better job, you know, and, and to Stuart's point saying, okay, this is Wi-Fi six, you know, this is a definitive kind of break from the last generation. Um and as Stuart mentioned, this uh, low complexity communications codec, that's the LC3, 
you know, you don't want to have that mouthful of stuff that you've got to explain to people. I mean, for me, it's just saying, look, there's going to be better wireless audio. Um, and the other point is, but you need a new pair of headsets or, you know, earbuds or whatever, because that's really what decodes the sound. And that's where the critical uh, thing takes place. Uh, you know, technology takes place. So you'll need, yeah, you need a new phone. And yes, you'll need new uh, headsets or earbuds. So the next pair you get, then you'll get better Bluetooth audio out of that. That's sort of what I'm looking forward to because I like music and that's right. a critical component to me. So that's the way I sort of convey it. But the broadcast thing is kind of cool. I mean, for the other generation, the younger generation, they like to share songs often, um, something they just heard. And the only way they can do it is to plug the earbuds in is what Stuart had mentioned, alluded to. So this will make it a lot easier. You can just hook onto the other person's phone basically with a button and right. hear the same song in stereo and not in one channel. So that's good. But Stuart, I'm not watching uh, baseball games on the airplane if we're on a same flight. Just not going to do it. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's interesting. And then we'll hit, we'll hit the next topic is that, you know, Stuart made a very good point. You just can't go out and buy speakers or air, the new AirPods that have 5.2. You have to have a companion uh, source content source device, whether it's a phone or a tablet or, or a PC for that matter. Uh, right. That has right. uh, that Bluetooth capability. And by the way, you know, people hold on to their laptops for two, three years, you know, maybe a little bit shorter with the pandemic, but that's over. Uh, and desktops, especially if I have a desktop computer, I'm not going to upgrade that until it conks out, you know, so um, right. it will it right. will be a gradual transition. But let's get to the next topic uh, here. And this is and I have some personal experience with this myself. It's good old iOS 16, which rolled out about a week and a half ago. <laughs> Um, actually rolled out about a, a couple of days before um, the first iPhone 14s um, showed up uh, because my, uh, Apple obviously likes to see the marketplace with the new version of the operating system. And there have been lots and lots of reports about bugs. I mean, I myself, on my old iPhone 13 and the new iPhone 16 that I got, kind of in two interesting experiences. Um, the uh, iPhone um, uh, 14 that I got, it for, you know, first of all, they, they, they already had an upgrade, 16.1 uh, or 16.01 that I had to upgrade to. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what was really challenging about that, by the way, let me just, you know, I mean, I mean I, generally speaking, I think Apple does a pretty good job of allowing people to upgrade from one device to another without losing their data. They had some problems years ago, but I think for the most part it works. The experience that I had with 16 this time on a new iPhone where I used the backup from my, thir uh, from my uh, 13, you know, it's a pretty seamless experience. The Outlook email client did not work. I mean, I tried to, you know, you know, it, it forces you to enter the passwords in again. Did that, just would not work. I had to delete Outlook as an app, reload it, then go through the sequence and it worked. You know, again, I'm a pretty tech user. You know, I was willing to, okay, and I, and by the way, one of the few people that write that, you know, I have, a rec I have, I use a password keeper to manage all my passwords. There's a lot of people out there that, oh, what's my email password? I don't know what that is, <laughs> you know? So it, it really hasn't been that um, seamless for many people. And Stuart, I wanna give you a chance to tee off <laughs> because it sounds like you have a, a typical uh, uh, Stuart Walpin-like robust opinion on this, but let me turn the floor over to you. Well, two things. One, if you don't have an iPhone 14, my advice is do not upgrade to iOS 16 until they release 16.1, which is already in its second beta. Right. They're going to upgrade to 16.02 next week 
for got people who have lucky enough to have gotten their iPhone 14s already. So those are the, the two takeaways um, for anybody listening. If you've got an older phone, hold off on 16 until 16.1. Now, when talking about your, I only had a couple of issues. The password issue is endemic with upgrades. A, in, Apple always tells you that when you do the, the changeover from one phone to another and you use it from the iCloud, you restore from the iCloud backup, that your keychain will be copied over. I've never found that to be the case. I'm still entering new, uh, entering passwords into several of my app downloaded applications, and that all should have been copied over. But when you get your iPhone 14, you will get a notice on the screen that there's a new version available, which will take you to 16.1 now, next week to 16.2. It may, and Apple has already freely admitted that there are problems with 16.0 with FaceTime and messages. I'm not exactly sure what the problems are. I think one of them was the cut and paste issue. Um, in fact, from what I understand, that if you do cut and paste, it keeps popping up with a prompt window. Sorry, are you sure you want to do that? Which got it, it just kept popping up all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> John loves that. John, John, I love your react. John, that, I should take a screenshot of that. That was a great reaction. So the, the, the most, most the users will be able to do is either have the opportunity to update the 16.0.1 or 2 next week before they do the iCloud restore, or you'll just have to wait until afterwards. That will not solve the password issue, but it will make all the, the Apple applications work correctly and will make the uh, the transition, especially the eSIM transition. Remember, there's no physical SIM card in the iPhone 14. It's now all digital right. and will make that transfer of your phone number from your old phone to your new phone a lot smoother. Now, John, I, I wish I think your reaction was the what, 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 really your feedback. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is Stuart sent some, uh, some stats around. There are companies out there and websites that kind of track um, how quickly people upgrade from um, older versions of operating systems. And if you believe some of the data, Stuart, that you passed around, um, people are upgrading at a slightly slower pace than uh, the uh, previous version of um iOS 15, and I think it's 14. It's 14. 14. It's lower than uh, iOS 14. And I, I, you know, Apple likes to pride itself on the fact, and I think you guys would agree with this. Oh, you know, our customers upgrade to operating systems much at a much faster pace than other companies, Android, even Windows on 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 the um, on the PC side. Do you think consumers are getting a little bit more hesitant in general about, you know, pulling that trigger because of either data loss or they just, even if it's not data loss, you know, oh, you know, I just can't, I can't go through an hour of frustration that certain features are not working as advertised or screw something else because I got to use my phone. A phone is an, a, is an essential uh, element of someone's arsenal when they're working all the time. So do you think consumers are getting a bit more um, hesitant? John? Well, I, I sure am. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have to do it as you guys do so often, right? Yes. I have three brand new phones sitting here and I'm just dreading having to test those three new phones because it means I've got to go through this process three times, you know, and, um, and, and, and do all the apps. And we have scores and scores of apps because it's our job to have those 
stupid apps on the phone. So it's sort of an endless process. But also, there's a limit to the, you know, but we also used to warn people like DOS 3.0, never take 3.0, you know, wait the DOS 3.1 or 3.2, you know, that was the, the rule. So you never switched, you know, software on anything when it was just a dot O upgrade. But um, yeah, so I would definitely recommend that to people. But I think they're sort of running out of features to add too. you know, the, the, it works pretty well on a smartphone interface with a touchscreen, you know, and voice command control and face recognition. And that's about it. Like, what else can you add that's really going to be compelling to that consumer to make them go, oh, well, I mu must have that one. You know, uh, the camera's a little bit better. You know, some of these things are a little bit better, but I think we're running out of, running out of steam um, and innovation to a degree. So you probably see that. And you know, as everybody keeps saying at all these events now, the phrase is, you know, macroeconomic climate and the macroeconomic climate being inflation for all of us. And that's just going to hurt all sorts of things. So I might not buy the new phone quite yet because, you know, milk costs more, bread costs more. I'm a little bit more resistant to make that upgrade. Right. I want to make one other point about the upgrade. Sure. Understand that, to John's point, we're now in an iteration phase of the smartphones, almost a commodity phase, where the iterations are much less dramatic. However, most upgrades to every operating system, whether it's for your PC or for your phone or any device, are usually for security purposes. The <laughs> hacker community is ever at work trying to pierce the veil of these device securities. And almost every update that comes out for every device that you own contains updated security because these companies have discovered hackers have now found another backdoor in and now the device maker has to cover that backdoor. And so it's this constant back and forth between the hackers and the device makers and the OS designers. So almost every operating system upgrade includes vital security updates to make sure your device stays safe. So fortunately on the Apple side, they're a lot less prone to it, not because iOS is any stronger, but because hackers are trying to get into it, quite frankly. So you can afford to wait between 16.01 and or between 15.7, which is the latest <clears throat> iOS um, version before 16, and 16.1. Right. Once you get into the next level, <clears throat> it is incumbent upon all device users to make sure their devices are updated so they don't get broken into. Right. No, I think, I think that's, that's a great a point. point. Yeah, it's that's a, a good point. point. And it's also, they just had more time to attack the older software. So they've spent yeah. much more time finding holes in it. So the newer the software you have, even if it's not technically tighter, it's just they haven't had a chance to really attack it yet. Right. You're always better off. So absolutely, Stuart's right about that. I, I think those are great points. And unfortunately, you know, when you go through that, you get that little um, uh, update message on uh, on an iPhone, and I'm sure the same thing happens with Android phones as well, is okay, here are the new features of iOS 16, because they're always plugging the, all the you know, 250 great new features, five of which may right. be really relevant for upgrading. But they'll put a, like a little bullet. Oh, and this also includes security patches. It doesn't. It doesn't have that sexy <laughs> feeling. You know, if, and, and I think your guys are right. I think that you could argue that even if you, it might be worth the pain of the upgrade just to get the security capability that's in the newest release of the of the um, of the device operating system. Let's hit the next topic here, 
And Stuart, you're going to be uh, not pleased to know that my changes, I, I actually changed the, the bullet because these, this bullet is, reads the wrong way. Um, you know, there's obviously um, uh, air quality issues that, that disproportionately impact seniors in their homes and air purifiers. I think you, you did some work recently on a, um, an AR, AARP piece on how air purifiers, smart air purifiers can help with that. So I'm going to take this off the screen so people don't read the mistake on that. But uh, let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Stuart. Well, especially for the wintertime, which is what the, my AARP assignment, it hasn't run yet, so my apologies to my AARP editor. Um, but essentially, it, 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 I don't know if John or you have noticed, but all of a sudden, everybody and their brother is getting into the air purifier market. I, I mm -hmm. went to a we went to a tabletop a month or so ago, and Clorox is now making air purifiers. And the reason is, from what I've been able to understand from all the manufacturers and people that I've spoken to, is because COVID scared everybody. And as a result, all these companies are making these products that, theoretically anyway, or at least uh, it, they assume that people will assume that if you put one of these in, it reduces your COVID risk at home, which is not true, by the way. Um, but almost everything in your home produces some sort of chemical pollutant, of breathable pollutant, new carpets and furniture, candles, cooking, your pets, breathing, breathing. you're breathing up carbon dioxide, which is not exactly good for you, good ventilation. And what air, pure, and in the winter time, you've got every door in your home and everything stays inside. So what the air purifiers are designed to do is to continually refresh the air in individual rooms. If you're going to go out and buy one of these things, you want to buy one that has been certified. All of these companies are coming out with these devices now that make all of these outlandish claims. But there are people who actually test these things. So you have the, the American Home Appliance Manufacturers Association, AHAM, not Alexander Hamilton, but AHAM, and, um, and, and um, Energy Star, both on their websites, have a sortable list of certified air purifiers that tell you how often the room gets cleared. And usually you want something that'll clean the air in the room at least four times an hour. Um, you want one, they work like air conditioners, essentially. You measure your room, and then you want an air purifier designed to clean rooms of that size. Right. They're, they're very quiet, and they will mostly clear the air. I've had one for five years. I used to get sick for three or four days or up to a week every year like clockwork. The most I've had since I've installed this thing is a case of the sniffles. Right. So I, I, I yeah. it, it, it is, I, I have found it to be one of the most useful things I have ever gotten. Yeah. I, you know, and you're talking from a senior perspective. I would say that it's true for all ages. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I want John to get uh, a pine on this. But what's interesting is I, I'll expand this. You know, I recently uh, added a um, uh, uh, the, the name of the brand is Filtrate. I think it's 3M. They yeah, make a Bluetooth yeah. filter. Now, they're more expensive than your standard filter that you can put on your central air conditioning. And it is remarkable because not only will it tell you, you know, most people, when they put a filter on, uh, in their air conditioning unit, <laughs> the only time they replace it is when someone reminds them 
you know, the, the air conditioning may not be working because the, 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 the motor is laboring uh, in the air right. conditioning air sign that your filter is, is, is gummed up. And, you know, that's the way I kind of operated. You know, I tried to do it once a quarter, which is when you're supposed to do it. I added one. Uh, I kind of switched to these last year and it will tell you 10 percent uh, is um, your filters, 10 percent um, uh, clogged, 20 percent, 30 percent. And not only does it help you with air quality, but that also, by the way, helps you uh, extend the life of your air conditioning because it doesn't have to labor as much. So, John, let me get your opinion on this, because I really think it's kind of a um, it's kind of like a Roddy Dangerfield like um, capability because people just don't, you know, smart windows, smart blinds, smart this, smart that gets a lot of attention. But, the, you know, air, hey, we depend on air quality. It, it can improve your health, especially to a storage point over the long term. Yeah, there are, there are studies that show that actually for seniors and, and uh, other people that um, air quality can affect, you know, the uh, propensity to have dementia, and et cetera, and other illnesses down the road, neurological illnesses down the road. And there's a lot of um, studies that have been done, too, about the um, the social effects of, you know, uh, health uh, care and depending on where people live. If you live in like at which is a very famous near LA with uh, what they call a black death zone because you were near all the shipping containers, all the particulates that were being created by all the shipping that was going on there. And if you lived in that area, you had a much greater chance to die three or four years earlier than the average person did that didn't live in it. So cleaning the air, the particulates are huge. I mean, so these air filters all pretty much work on that, the soot that people have. Um, and that's a great thing. And I've used, you know, again, to Stuart's point, I've had one for many years, but it started because years ago, somebody in the apartment above me drilled holes through the floor and they created all this dust and all this damage and uh, the air filters I've, I installed then. But yeah, I wouldn't do without them are absolutely essential. And they were starting to, Stuart's point too, they were starting to pick up uh, popularity just a couple of years before the pandemic. When we would be at IFA, the show in Berlin, they were much more of an international thing for European uh, countries. And, and uh, they talked more about indoor air quality then. Um, and then the pandemic, they just kind of took off. But you have those VOCs, the volatile organic compounds. If you hang up a new piece of plastic something, oh, my gosh, that is so toxic. And these filters do work on materials like that. So there are a lot of reasons to get one. Highly recommended. Absolutely. No, couple, it's a great couple time. Points, couple Go points ahead. The first thing is, for COVID at least, there is a new technology or a newer technology called bipolar ionization. The problem is that it's largely untested. There have been some preliminary studies, but what they found is that it may produce ozone. And the bipolar ionization is supposed to hunt down and kill viruses and bacteria, including the SARS virus that causes COVID. So what the what the the overseers, the certifiers recommend is this is a UL certification, uh, UL two nine nine eight that is certified so the bipolar ionization doesn't introduce additional harmful par particles into the air. Right. Second point is when you have a central um, HVAC system like you say that you have, the latest filter technology is called MERV thirteen. Uh, that right. is the latest filter technology. You don't use a HEPA filter there because the HEPA filters, I think, are too thick and will clog up the, the airflow. 
So it's a MERV 13 filter. The only issue with central air systems, and you might want to go with the suspender belt air purifier solution, is that your air conditioning and your heating isn't always on. And right. so as a result, your air is being circulated, whereas a room air purifier, you can have it go on and off at, at certain cycles, but it will always be on when it needs to be on. The sensors sense when there's too much crap in the air and automatically switch on the fan to sweep out the room. So even if you have a central air conditioning system or central air ventilation system, because it's not always on, it will not be as effective as a portable room unit. Right. No, it's a great technology, um, and uh, I wish really more people would um, consider getting one for their home, and their, especially their apartments like you guys um, uh, live in. And uh, and it's not very – these products are not very expensive. No, they're less than $500 usually. And the well, filters are around 15 to $30, and you have to replace them, as John said, every quarter. And as your room gets cleaner, it means the filters don't need to be replaced as often. And a small price to pay for uh, for terrific um, and um, keep you some focus on your health. But yep. John and Stuart, listen, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. And guys, thanks for uh, calling in. Mm-hmm.